0: The Ringer NBA show is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Ringer Podcast Network. Looking for a better way to bet on your favorite sports online? With FanDuel Sportsbook, there are more ways to bet. If you can dream it, you can probably bet it through FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel offers spreads, parlays, money lines, over-unders, props, and in-game bets all in an easy-to-use app. There are more ways to fund your account. Unlike Sportsbooks, FanDuel accepts most major payment options. There are more ways to cash out. When you win, you can receive your winnings in your bank account in as little as 48 hours through a safe and secure process. Check out the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to experience sports betting the way it should have always been. FanDuel, more ways to win. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Today's show is also brought to you by Heineken. Figure out a way to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year, try an ice cold Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A Yeasts, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly. Now time for the mismatch.
1: Welcome to The Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Sharer. Kevin! What's going on, Chris? (laughs) What a beautiful morning it is, Kev. Um, sure is. Got to watch some great basketball yesterday afternoon and last night. And um, it appears as if the story has remained the same for a lot of the season and certainly in the playoffs that you do not want to get in a close game with Chris Paul and the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was unbelievable. He was absolutely unbelievable and closes out a game last night. And for the season, they have been absolutely ridiculous in these, quote, clutch games. As we know, he leads the NBA in points and the numbers are great. But the Thunder now... 32 wins and 14 losses in these Mm. situations. And you see him last night in the fourth quarters of games three, four, and six, which the ones that the uh, Thunder have won in this series, he's had 10 points, eight points, and then last night, 15 points (laughs) Wow! when it mattered most. And then he comes in after the game and does an interview with Jared Greenberg, and he says... When it gets clutch time, fourth quarter, some people are built for it. Some people shy away from it. Some people are built for it, man. We're just going to keep hooping. And I felt like maybe he was talking about somebody. I don't know.
0: He might have been. Uh, Let's talk about Chris Paul, though. Uh, He was just magnificent in that fourth quarter. And Oklahoma City clearly had a game plan there, too. And it was just attack Robert Covington every single time with Chris Paul. They were seeking him with on-ball screens, to, knowing Houston would switch, and Paul was just abusing him, taking pull-up threes or getting past him to get to the rim. It was, I mean, really, like, Covington is a guy that we talk about as a great defender. The truth is, he is a, a tremendous off-ball defender. He is a merely above-average or good on-ball defender. And Chris Paul just ripped him to shreds with just his dribble penetration, creating shots for himself or others. I mean... Chris Paul is a guy built for those moments, and he always has been throughout his career. Like, Chris Paul may never win a championship, but I will always remember him as a winner because of his ability to close
1: out games like we saw last night. Well, and you saw him. I was watching at the very end of the game. They are standing at the free throw line, and he is turned away from the basket at Harden. And is trying to stare a hole right through it. I mean, he's looking directly <laughs> at the guy. He's looking yeah. directly at the guy, and Hart like won't acknowledge him. It was the it was the damnedest thing. And look, I talked. They don't about like this. each other. They don't no. like each other. They don't. No, that's why the trade was made. <laughs> this game was honestly like the absolute craziest of all outcomes because it was the worst of what could happen to. Houston, which is mm-hmm. being a close game. Here, let's get this out of the way because we're going to agree on this. Russell Westbrook was an abject disaster was down horrific. the stretch. Like just, I mean, an abject disaster. But he is the kind of guy that is a give me the ball, I am going to decide our fate. And that will be good or that will be bad. And for last night, that was a disaster. And one of my criticisms has long been, I mean, it feels like Groundhog Day because this happens a lot, that many times it feels like James Harden is an innocent bystander to his demise. And last night, I mean, I posted a video. He's standing at half court. He's tying himself up with another guy. Interestingly enough, Houston fans were tweeting me last night with their – immense frustration. One of them even sent me a clip of 14 seconds left in game three. They said, for everybody that's saying this is about Westbrook, he did the same thing. He just went and stood at half court with 14 seconds left to go in the game. And Westbrook wasn't even playing in the game. And that's game three. And it's the moment. Like It's like, hey, this is why you're the best player offensively in the league. This is why you are the guy. On this team. Is because when it matters most. You say give me the damn ball. And I'm going to get us home. And it's happened over and over again. I watched the
0: whole fourth quarter again this morning. You know. Wide awake. Fresh look at the game. And I took notes of every possession. After Harden hit his last shot. Which was a step back three against Schroeder. With 450 left in the game. That's the last time Harden hit a shot. In the game. And re-watching it. There was that moment with 140 left where Harden kicks the ball ahead to Westbrook, who had a mismatch on Gallinari. Westbrook drove down the lane, and he made an inaccurate pass to P.J. Tucker for three, who couldn't take the corner three shot because it was such a bad pass. And then at that point, that's the play I think you're referring to, where Harden doesn't fight Gildas Alexander for positioning. He doesn't fight to get the ball. And that sometimes is a, maybe it's a symptom of Harden, Sometimes maybe it's a symptom of Houston's offense where they just have him standing around the logo and they get him the ball there to go to work in an isolation. And I wonder how much of that is Harden, his own mindset, not fighting for the ball. How much of it is that just like a built-up habit where that's what he always does, always does, always does, just stands around, they deliver him the ball. On that specific play I'm talking about, Harden, uh, Westbrook got the ball back, and then he got stripped by Chris Paul. It was a great defensive play and sloppy ball handling by Westbrook, one of the many disastrous plays Russ made down the stretch of that game. With Harden, man, I have a hard time faulting him in this game, even more after re-watching it, because with that fresh look, I saw him make multiple really strong, high-effort plays, hustling back on defense to stop two transition attacks, And on the Westbrook air ball, the pull-up too, that was, again, another horrific shot, Harden hustled to deflect the ball back in bounds and get Houston another possession. And I look at those plays and I'm like, this guy is still a gamer. He wasn't getting the ball down the stretch here in in a lot of moments. But sometimes the flow of the game doesn't get you the ball. And like we can take a minute and go through every possession if we really want to, but re-watching that, I have a hard time faulting Harden
1: here. You think he wanted the ball when he's sitting there yeah. with Gilders Alexander at yeah. the free throw line when Westbrook takes that air ball? He didn't want the
0: ball. Harden does that even in like the mid-second quarter. He just kind of floats around near the logo, above the arc. No, no, no. Know. This is,
1: he was tying up his defender. He was tying him up, Gilders Alexander. You're talking about the play with
0: 55 seconds left. Har- this is my note here. 100 Harden's to 100. Screen- Yeah, 55 seconds left. Harden screens for Westbrook. I wrote, why does Westbrook pull up for the deep two air ball? Harden makes the hustle play to save the ball. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, he's not screen.
1: He's screening
0: his own man. Yeah, because he's screening for Westbrook. That's the play. He's screening for Russell Westbrook.
1: He doesn't run to screen for Dennis
0: Schroeder. He ties himself up with his own man. Yeah, but he set two screens for Westbrook. I mean, like we can pull up the play right now if you want
1: to. I posted it last night. It's ridiculous.
0: And then Westbrook should have driven on. So, like, you can blame Harden for not fighting, or you can blame Westbrook for taking a pull-up two-pointer instead of driving in an open lane. I, you I only mean,
1: watch the fourth quarter. I don't know if you watch the rest of the game. Like, watch him, yeah. how he conducts himself the rest of the game. He doesn't do yeah. that. He usually brings the ball up the court. I know he does, which, <laughs> I is, mean,
0: which is why, like, I, some of these possessions, like I said, we can go through all of them if you want to. Want to take one minute and just go through each one of the plays after he hit a shot? No, why not? Because
1: I I watched the game. Within
0: the flow of the game, there are certain moments where there's a transition stop and there's a kick ahead. Or there's certain moments where Gordon gets the ball and there's a kick ahead. There are certain moments where he can look at plays where he did get the ball. Like 240 left in the game, Harden isolates. Does he not want the ball there? No, because he has it in his hands. He isolates and he drives into a packed paint. Why? Because nobody's defending Russell Westbrook. They're giving him the dort treatment. They're not, right. they're not defending him. So okay. you can look at Harden and say, oh, he's not taking a shot there. He turns it over. Or you can look at it and say, Westbrook is the reason why there's no where to go in the lane.
1: And look, if you can watch the clips that I posted last night of him. In the, I did. They, when I it, watched all it, of them. Okay. When it matters most and you truly think he wants the ball, I can't help you. I can't help you, man. You know what I don't know what, on what on you're last watching. Play? I don't know what you're You know what, what happened on the
0: last play? Again, Harden screens for Westbrook, which was the design play. Westbrook throws the ball away and D'Antoni said after the game he was asked why did you have Westbrook bring the ball up the court was the play designed to get it back to James D'Antoni said we wanted a switch and we were looking to kick it back to James it's kind of our go-to play that's what the two guys wanted so we went with that Westbrook threw the ball away Harden didn't get it back is that Harden's fault wait he didn't throw He wasn't throwing the ball to Harden exactly he was throwing the ball to Gordon. Yes, but the play was to get the ball back to James, according to the head coach of the Houston Rockets, Mike D'Antoni. So right. So whose fault is that? And
1: James wants to make himself unavailable. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't unavailable on that play. He, was He's always been, he would get closer to his defender so you won't throw it to him. I mean, Kevin, it's not like this is the first time this has happened. This has I, happened I, I over and mind. over and over again. This happened when Mikhail had to bench him against the Clippers. This happened against Golden State when he's 2-for-11 with 12 turnovers. This happened against San Antonio without Kawhi, where he's 2-for-11 at 10 points and goes home to a strip club after he lost by 40 points (laughs) It had the whole crowd cheering MVP. I mean, can you imagine as a sports fan, imagine if Tom Brady... You already did that after, you know, your team lost to the Philadelphia Eagles or something in the Super Bowl. Last game of the season, the guys out partying, wanting the whole crowd to chant MVP. I'm not going to judge that. After People I lose however 40. they want to. Then he got emasculated by Steph Curry on his home court when Durant was out. I mean, this is like over and over again, like the big moments where you need him to show up, when you need him to do something big, like. There can be a million g- mental gymnastics to make excuse for the guy every single year, but we do this every single year. And we'll see. Game seven, again, you have a time to prove yourself. You have a time to prove yourself when it matters most because when it gets into a close game, I'll tell you this. Chris Paul was going to decide that game. End of story. I don't think it's irrational for James Harden to say, I'm going to decide this game. I am not going to be an innocent bystander and watch Russell Westbrook pissing away. I don't watch that and see a guy that wants the ball that says, I am going to decide this game. Give me the damn ball. I saw it with Jimmy Butler. I saw it with Chris Paul. And it's okay. Some guys don't have that killer instinct. But I don't think the guy's a killer. (laughs) I don't.
0: Yeah, if you say so. I mean, you can point to moments in which a player fails. You can point to moments in which Chris Paul turns the ball over in the final moments of games as well. These are guys that are in positions to win big games. And James Harden is a player right now that is so potent on offense that Oklahoma City is able to put a guy on the floor that is a zero on offense in Dort because they need to stop this guy in order to be in a position to win the game. So you can point to some of Harden's failures late in games, and they are real. I'm not arguing those at all. You could also point to some of the moments where he has positioned his team to win or has been one of the reasons they have been in a game six or seven because of the clutch fourth quarter play all i'm talking about is strictly this game last night to me is not one of those games it's just not i think it's fair what you're saying about some of the other performances where he maybe choked at the end or ran out of gas he was tired whatever it might be last night was not one of those games last night was a game where just for whatever reason you have a guy like russell westbrook and for some reason, there's this perception of him like he's some great player. He's not. Russell Westbrook is not a great player anymore. Sometimes oh, he can stop.
1: be. On certain nights, this would with...
0: be a great player.
1: I would buy this, except for the fact that last year, everybody tried to convince me Chris Paul wasn't good either. That not Chris me. Paul was dumb, not me. and Chris not Paul me. was old, and Chris Paul had lost the step. Not me. And they're going to do the not same me. thing with this guy. Because not me. these guys got to do it. Did Paul I do that? had to
0: do it by himself when it mattered most. Did I do that? I don't think we did that. I don't think either. you absolutely
1: talked about how Chris Paul had a terrible contract and who would trade for it. Of course, it's a bad
0: contract. He's making $45 million. I, this I don't guy care. Is how... carrying
1: a team. Yeah, I, I know. You're but not I'm on saying, a bad contract. If you could carry a it's team. A,
0: it's a bad deal for a guy who's going to be in his mid thirties, but he can still be a very, very high level player. It's very <laughs> hard for a player. who's making 35% of the cap to exceed his value. It's hard. I mean, it's just, that's why if Houston anybody is, up.
1: it's Chris Paul. He had a 0.2% chance of making the playoffs. 0.2. That was
0: silly. I don't, I don't know about those numbers. I mean this in all seriousness. Like, I remember I had Oklahoma City, and I had some bad power rankings, so let me just say that. But I had OKC like 13th or 14th in my preseason power rankings, and people like jumped down my throat like, you're an idiot. OKC's going to suck. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're only going to suck if they decide to blow it up. This was a team that has a lot of talent.
1: There was a reasonable chance that they would. You know what I mean? I think they got too good. Yeah, I mean, they are. They good. got too They're good the before the trade deadline. They got too good.
0: They have good talent on their roster. It's just a matter of the fact with OKC, everybody assumed they would trade Chris Paul. There were the Miami rumors and everything else. But the fact is, is OKC had talent on their roster. Giving them a 2% chance or whatever number you said was silly to me. That's well, a, all right. I, don't so, know, I don't know what that deal was. But just one more thing on Chris Paul. I talked to Mike D'Antoni before the season started, for a story that I never ended up doing. Uh, Life happens. But D'Antoni said to me at the time, he's like, I don't understand all these people talking about Chris Paul being old, being washed. This was a situation for him that was difficult. It's a brand new offense, sharing the ball, but there's no doubt that he still has it. And looking at the numbers with him last year, without Harden on the court, Chris Paul was same old Chris Paul when he wasn't sharing the ball with James Harden. Same old guy. And we've seen that this year. Same old guy. Same Chris Paul. Maybe not worth the $45 million contract in the final year of the deal, but he's still the same old Chris Paul.
1: All right. We're obviously not going to agree on last night. Even if you don't want to agree on last night, the Oklahoma City Thunder have won three of these games, which have all been close games. All been close games, right? Down to the wire. And in the fourth quarter of those games that I mentioned, where Chris Paul had 10 points, 8 points, 15 points. These are games three, four, and six. Harden is five for 18 from the field in fourth quarter and overtime. So, I mean, this is not just like last night. Like, that's been Oklahoma City winning the game. And I don't think it's irrational for a guy that is immensely offensively talented. And by the way, Russell Westbrook didn't play in either of those in games three or four. But a guy that is that immensely talented to show up when it matters most in these games. And again, we'll find out. I mean, there's going to be a Game 7. I tell you this, I want Chris Paul in my foxhole for Game 7. And Houston better just bust their ass. Because if it gets a close game, trouble time. I'm still
0: confused, though. Like, you're blaming James Harden because he gave up the ball to Russell Westbrook the guy that you think is deserving of getting touches at the end of games you' you're saying you're no, saying I didn't hard say it.
1: I didn't say he was deserving of getting touches what I said is he is wired to take that ball and say I'm gonna go win the game and you will either succeed or you will fail based upon that outcome should Westbrook
0: have had the ball at like left in the game? Should he have had the ball with one twenty left in the game? Should he have had the ball with 42 seconds left in the game? Or should Harden get the ball in all of those possessions? I think Harden should have the ball. So you and I do agree, though, that Harden is the superior player who should have the ball in those moments. Correct. Okay. We're on
1: the same page And I think he wants no part of it. And that's why you get what you get last night. I told you this a month ago. I told you this would happen. This
0: is what confused. I'm going to go through each play. This is going to take a minute. We no. got to do this. No, we got to do this. I watch the
1: game, Kevin!
0: Everybody well, watched the game. Clearly not.
1: He doesn't want the ball. It's not that he... Look, dude, let's go through. You go, go get, get this it this out of is, bounds! Hey, I want you to stop all of this run-through every play. Go get the friggin' ball out from under the basket. Go over there and get the ball. All
0: right, so in other words, you're saying Russell Westbrook should be a spot-up shooter at the end of games.
1: I'm saying go get the ball and go decide the game. Okay, again,
0: I'm asking, so you're saying in that case, let's say Harden becomes the guy who gets the ball every possession. Westbrook should be, what should his role be in that situation? What is Westbrook's
1: role? Why can't he slash? Why can't he move around? I mean, he is a little different than James Harden, which is if I don't have the ball in my hands and I'm able to acquire a stat, I'm just going to go stand at half court with the scorer's table. That's where he goes. Like, I'm not in the play. I'm just going to go stand over here.
0: As I said earlier, I'm delivering facts here from watching the game. And you're talking about like one play and making it seem like it was every possession. What I'm saying to you I Chris, saw him
1: tie himself up with Gilgis Alexander on purpose at the free throw line and do this phony shit like he's setting a screen. What screen is that? Okay, he's tying himself like I up said, so he won't get the ball.
0: <laughs> like I said, you're taking one play when there was like a stretch. The
1: two most important possessions of the game. You're talking
0: about at 55 seconds left in the game and the eight seconds left in the game.
1: No, the two times the game was tied. After Paul had tied the game and they came down, he stood at half court. I posted this. Then they have another possession. They're tied 100 to 100. And Westbrook comes down and air balls that yeah. free throw line jumper, right? That okay, is the so most sorry, phony 140 and 55 screen. Seconds. He's tying himself up with Gilgis Alexander so he won't get the ball. I'm sorry, Chris, but like he's watch making it. no effort I'm to do sorry, anything. I'm sorry, Chris, but like watch how kind of screen sets screens is and that's that? what happens. What basketball have you ever watched? Who sets a screen like that?
0: Th- that look, you can you could fault his screening technique and his fault his ability to the fight for positioning. But that's what he, he does, dude. We're arguing in circles here. I'm trying to take it, take our conversation in a different direction, but you keep getting back to your same talking points. So I'm just gonna talk for a second here. 4:50 left in the game. Oh my Harden, god! Harden takes that three. Okay. Quickly go through for one minute here. 423, OKC miss. Schroeder makes a great play, intercepts a Tucker outlet pass. 405. Harden, first shot, misses a step-back three. 320, Westbrook brings the ball up the floor, runs side, pick and roll, misses a layup. Harden doesn't get a touch. 240, Harden isos. This is the play I mentioned earlier. Drives into three defenders in the paint because nobody's defending Westbrook. 215, Westbrook motors the ball up the floor, gets Gordon an open three. He misses it. 140, Harden kicks the ball ahead to Westbrook, who's going to mismatch on Gallo. This is the play I mentioned earlier, where he made the inaccurate pass to Tucker for three in the corner. Westbrook got the ball back and got stripped. 120 left. Harden hustled back to make a stop on an Adams dunk attempt. Gordon outlets to Westbrook, who drove and score. Really nice, aggressive play by Russ. 55 seconds left. Harden screens for Westbrook. This is the play you're talking about. Westbrook takes the deep two and air ball. Harden makes a hustle play to save the ball and get a new possession. 42 seconds left. Five seconds left on the shot clock after the inbounds pass. Careless pass by Covington to Tucker. Almost gets deflected away. Harden forced to take a really tough pull-up three. Eight seconds left in the game. Harden screens for Westbrook. Westbrook throws the ball away. And as I said after the game, D'Antoni said the play was to get the ball back to James Harden. Each one of those possessions, like I said, there's one or two you can look at and say Harden should have fought for better positioning. Harden should have demanded the ball. But looking at this team... Naturally, this is what's happened all year long, all year long. Harden and Westbrook are taking turns, either bringing the ball up the floor or running the offense. Should Harden have the ball every single one of those possessions? You're damn right he should. You're damn right he should. But to say it's because like he doesn't have some killer instinct when he made some great hustle plays, when he was forced to take some tough shots... I think
1: that's just silly. You that's just silly. games three and four when Westbrook wasn't what there. It more,
0: what it is more than anything else, it's a testament to the failures of Russell Westbrook over and over throughout yeah. his career, throwing the ball away late in games, taking dumbass shots. It's on Russell Westbrook here, man. You can point the finger at Harden. That's just silly when you're also saying he's the guy that should have the ball in his hands. That doesn't make any sense to me logically. You're saying Harden should have the ball in his hands, but it's his fault, not the fault of Russell Westbrook, the guy who's done this and choked throughout his career and not given the ball to Kevin Durant. Because for some reason, everybody has this perception of Russell Westbrook like he's some amazing player who should have the ball in those moments. No, he shouldn't. Westbrook should have been on the bench at the end of that game because he's not a spot-up shooter. Mm. who can effectively space the yeah. floor from three. He got blown by Dennis Schroeder on the defensive end of the court. He is not a high-impact player right. at the end of games anymore. James Harden no. should have had the ball. You're right about that. I tell you but this. he's not the reason why they a- lost.
1: He was on the bench. He was on the bench in the fourth quarter of two of their losses already. The, you know the ones that Harden's five for 18 in in the fourth quarter? He was on the bench. He wasn't there. Where was Harden? Where was Harden then? Watching Ben McLemore shoot threes? I mean, what what are we talking about? He's five for you're, eighteen in the losses.
0: Yeah, you can point to this five for eighteen number. You can keep pointing at that if you want to, but you're also talking about the guy Two who shoulders. We're talking about the guy who shoulders the entire offense with Westbrook out to the point of having Westbrook. You need a secondary ball handling oh. presence. Other, otherwise, otherwise, Harden is a guy doing it all by himself. Uh, there's always
1: an excuse for him. It is the thing. There's always an excuse. Dude,
0: I don't get it, dude. Like Harden is such an elite offensive player that Oklahoma City is willing to put a guy on the floor for 30 minutes who's a zero on offense because they need Dort's defense in order to stop the guy who can make this a series for
1: Houston. If you want me to deny that James Harden is the number one scorer in the league or an exceptionally talented offensive player, that's a ridiculous thing for me to deny. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. I'm glad we agree. Of course he's outstanding. He is also a shrinking violet. That's what he is. (laughs) Really? He's a shr. over and it's his whole career, Kevin. Hell, he shrunk in the NCAA tournament for Arizona State. He shrunk in the finals when he played for Oklahoma City. He shrunk against the Clippers. He shrunk against the Warriors. He shrunk against the Spurs. He shrunk against the Warriors again. And now here we are. It's Groundhog Day. We're going to do this every year in the playoffs for the guy's whole career. (laughs) And I hope I can't wait for game seven. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the mental gymnastics that are going to have to take place if the guy ends up losing. Because he is an exceptionally talented player. But I don't think when it matters most, when you need it, when you need it, when Chris Paul gets that ball last night, when Jimmy Butler gets that ball last night, when you need it most is he's there for you. What is the great James Harden playoff moment you remember? I remember
0: him going to a game six and a game seven against these just incredible Warriors teams. Oh, okay. That's what I remember. I, I, remember, remember, I remember a Houston team that went to a game seven against a Warriors team in 2017-18. And yeah, they blew the lead. They did. Yeah, you're right. But it's not like you can put that all on James Harden. It's all your fault. It's not. James Harden. Is came, He's
1: the best player, though.
0: Yeah, but James Harden in that series, Chris Paul's out hurt. Harden has to shoulder everything again in that series. Look, Harden has shrunk in certain moments. I'm not denying that. Just like you're not denying that Harden is one of the game's greatest offensive players that we've ever seen. I'm not denying that. But to say like it's all his fault that Houston has lost some of these series and not put it on the fact that sometimes it's just bad luck. A guy gets hurt. Sometimes it's just the fact that Maury, he hasn't been able to find guys who can shoot like 40 plus percent from three. It's hard, man. It's hard to build he a winning had roster He Chris Paul, here. the best clutch player in the NBA. And then Chris Paul got hurt and missed game six and seven. I mean, let's not act like that's the one playing them and beating them right now. We are talking about a couple years ago against the Warriors when Harden goes like 12 for 29 in a game seven without Chris Paul.
1: Right. Well, then the next year they had Chris Paul and they were against a team that didn't have Kevin Durant.
0: What I'm saying is, is that to put it all on Harden. I didn't put it all on him. You're putting most of it on Harden.
1: No. I'm saying that I want my best player to want the ball when it matters most and deliver when it matters most.
0: Like I said, we just went through every possession. And like I said, you we can, can go through the- every
1: possession of every big game for the last eight years.
0: When our YouTube viewers see those clips on top of what I said, they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Sometimes the flow of the game doesn't get the ball to the player. Should it? You can argue Yes. But there were a lot of situations there where it was like, kick the ball ahead, early transition play, or Russ just took the shot. And he will.
1: And he shouldn't. Just like Paul (laughs) did when Harden was on the team. And he shouldn't. They're built for it. And Paul is better at delivering than Westbrook is. But they want that ball.
0: Can I just say this instead of arguing in circles about Harden? I do think Houston's system, as great as it is, I wish sometimes they would deviate from what they do, and that's two things. At the end of the game, when Covington switches onto Chris Paul, Schroeder set the screen for him, knowing Houston was just going to give him what they wanted. I don't understand why Houston doesn't fight that sometimes. Sometimes in certain situations, you need to deviate from what you do, and that's true on defense there, with Covington just getting shredded by Paul. And then on offense, there was a possession, I believe it was early in the fourth quarter, where Harden drove into Steven Adams, for a heavily contested layup. And I'm like, man, I wish he would take the floater there. And that's true for, you know, guys who play off the ball too, that are, you know, more shooters like Covington. Sometimes I wish Houston would open up the
1: mid range late in games. In the end, they're in a game seven. I mean, look, they're going to be favored. They're going to be a five point favorite as they should be. Um, As much as you want to downplay Westbrook, nobody was shitting on Westbrook when they beat him by a thousand in game five. And by the way, Last night, Westbrook, I believe, had a higher field goal percentage than Harden in that game. And I know he made those turnovers down the stretch, but I think, what do you have, maybe two more turnovers or one more turnover than Harden? (laughs) Um, I mean, you'd think that it actually matters when this stuff happens. But as much as you want to downplay him, the guy's a nine-time All-Star, and Harden is the number one scorer in the league. And they're playing against Chris Paul. And, like, it's Paul versus them. That's what it is. and. They have the ability. I, Oklahoma City can't trounce them, but they can trounce Oklahoma City. We've seen it. I mean, we just saw yeah. it in Game 5. I mean, they humiliated them. Because they, mean, have yeah. Humiliated yeah. Them. Huh? Said, they have James Harden. Humiliated them, huh? I
0: said because they have James Harden.
1: Right, yeah, maybe because they have James Harden. So, I mean, they, yeah. Yeah. look, we agree Houston should win Game 7. The series should be over. I mean,
0: if we're being totally honest here, but this speaks to, like I said, some of the flaws of Houston. The fact that they don't have a great shooting team. They have a, actually a, a below-average shooting team around Harden. And then Oklahoma City, I mean, it, so much of it is a credit to their shot makers. Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, especially Gildas Alexander, has not had a great series, but he's somebody could have, who could have a big game as well. So uh, you can't rule out, okay, see here in this series. You just can't. Before we move on, let's hear from today's sponsors. The Ringer NBA show is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Ringer Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are here and FanDuel Sportsbook has a slam dunk offer you won't want to miss. Right now, new users can get plus 2,000 odds on any team to make the NBA finals. Just pick any team, then bet 10 bucks for your chance to win 200 if they make it. The offer is even available on favorites like the Bucks and Lakers, the balls in your court. And if you pick correctly, FanDuel will get you your payout in as little as 24 hours. FanDuel is easy to use. They allow multiple deposit options and offer all kinds of bets for you to make. FanDuel Sportsbook, more ways to win. 21 plus and present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, new users only, must wager on designated boost market. Max bonus, $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Today's episode of The Mismatch is also brought to you by Heineken. Figuring out how to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year, whether you're headed outside safely or staying indoors, be sure to enjoy the always seasonal Heineken Original Lager. Heineken Original Lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A-yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Savor the last days of summer with an ice-cold, crisp Heineken, the perfect way to cap the last moments of summer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly.
1: All right. You and I were texting yesterday in the afternoon before all of this happened because it was an unbelievable day of basketball. I mean, oh, this yeah. was... Uh, that first Easter Conference Finals game with Miami and Milwaukee was a sensational game. This is, this is a great matchup, which I think has great star power and will put these teams really to the test. This is a gauntlet for Giannis to go through. And... He came up small yesterday in the fourth quarter. I mean, Giannis, who has got a lot on his plate as the MVP, as the defensive player of the year, all these things, he's got three points, one for four from the field, one for four from the free throw line, three turnovers. And for the first time since March, he played a game where he played over 20 minutes and scored less than 20 points in the game. He had 18 points yesterday. Interestingly enough, the last time that that happened, when I said March, a loss to the Miami Heat. Mm. And you and I were talking about this. They may just have the goods to make his life hell. And I know you did a video about this. They got a bunch of Rottweilers on that team. I kept saying this is the team I don't want to see. I think they're going to give them a hell of a fight. And look, if Jimmy Butler's dropping 40 and shooting a million percent from the field then you got a real, real problem on your hands because that was superstar stuff.
0: You and I have been saying it for months now, Chris, yeah. when talking about the Eastern Conference playoffs, that this is going to be a major challenge for the Bucks to get to the finals. And that's not a knock against them. It's merely a compliment to their competition with Miami and Toronto or Boston next round. If the Bucs make the finals, man, it's going to be one heck of an accomplishment for Giannis and that entire roster because of what we saw... In that game one, Miami's built to beat the Bucs. They're built to give Giannis trouble. They did a great job of defending him without falling, defending everybody on that team without falling. They did an incredible job, just really masterful, Building a wall and transition and preventing some of those easy baskets that Giannis, or rather, baskets that Giannis makes look easy when he's stretching his feet from the free throw line to the basket. Uh, they did a great job of just helping and throwing different looks at Giannis with di- having Bam on ball sometimes, having him help over off ball in other situations. From a, a defensive perspective, I, I'm not sure there's anything more that Miami could have done in that game. And then you look at Jimmy Butler. I tweeted this yesterday. It's a lot easier to score in the playoffs when your best player can shoot from the perimeter, and we did see that difference with Jimmy Butler versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, Butler, I mean,
1: what a winner, man! He is—he's something else. Forty points. He outscored. Uh, think about this, folks. He outscored the Bucks thirteen to eight in the last five minutes. Him, the no other player. Jimmy Butler outscored the Bucks. 13 to 8 in the last five minutes of that game. One guy. It's unbelievable. And I saw you tweet about the Philly thing. I mean, what the hell? Well, no, forget the me. Hell? Forget
0: me. Joel Embiid Joel tweeted about
1: Embiid. it. <laughs> I mean, God. <laughs> uh. How? How do you watch that and then think? Yeah. I mean, they paid Tobias Harris. Mm. It's unbelievable, man. Unbelievable! It if really I was the owner was. of that team, I'd have called my, uh, I'd have, I'd have fired my whole front office last night. <laughs> the guy just had forty points, and weird thing that's happened in these playoffs, and we've seen a lot of guys elevate their games. But I was reading this this morning because it seems like obviously you saw Jimmy Butler was pulling up from threes, and that's not him. That's not what he typically brings to the table this season. Jimmy Butler shot twenty four percent from three in the playoffs so far. He's shooting 67% from three. That's funny. 67% from three in the playoffs so far for Jimmy Butler. and Only six of nine. Only nine shots, to be fair. I got Six it. of nine, yeah. Still, I yeah. mean, he shoots 20% during the year. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he would typically hit two of those nine. Instead, He's knocking them down, and he ends up going five for five yesterday in those last five minutes of the game when he outscored the Bucks 13-8. to eight.
0: We talked about game planning earlier with what Oklahoma City wanted to do against Houston. They just wanted to attack Covington. They got the switch every time. Saw the same thing with Miami versus Milwaukee. They were seeking out George Hill. Yeah. Oftentimes, Chris Middleton started possessions on Butler. And by the way, Middleton was horrible on defense throughout this entire game. He was really... Uh, lacked focus off ball, missed cutters, missed you know his open man. And then on the ball, he was not effective at stopping penetration either. And yet, <laughs> Miami preferred Butler going at George Hill, who was even worse than Middleton. And I wonder if maybe one of the adjustments Milwaukee needs to make is maybe you fight over that screen, maybe you, you blitz or you pressure Butler instead of freely giving the switch because George Hill couldn't stop Butler at all.
1: Look, and that was Kevin. clearly what the Heat wanted to do. They have never, they have not been right this entire bubble. No, they haven't. We saw they the Bucs. They were a devastating team. They have not been right this entire time. They just haven't. They haven't looked like themselves, like what we saw during this season, because they, they were a team that is one of the best teams we've seen point differential wise in NBA history. And I, I, I don't think that that is just a facade. I think that for whatever reason, this team has not been able to get it back together since they have been in Orlando and look like they did during the year, you know? And let me say this real quick on the, on the Miami front, because I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago during the season, and you watched him yesterday. I really think, like, for right now, maybe the most underrated guy in the league is Dragic. He's awesome. Like, he so is so awesome. And it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, they have Goran Dragic on their team. And like, he's not, you know, they talk about Jimmy, they talk about Bam, they talk about Hero, they talk about Duncan Robinson. This guy yeah. is, he, and he is a flat gamer too, Dragic. What a player he's been for that Yesterday, Miami. Team.
0: 27 points on oh. nine of 15, six rebounds, five assists, only two turnovers, <laughs> and many other uh, situations in which there was potential assist or a secondary, uh, a hockey assist. He was, I mean, he is so good in ball screens.
1: And I gotta tell you I gotta tell you something that's gonna make you laugh. So a quick side note from basketball. I have been a like a sports collector my whole life. Sports cards, autographs, you know, whatever. My son is now of the age where he collects. And so I've gotten on this trip where I'll go and I'll try to bid in auctions, et cetera, on eBay for different cards. So I got one of the ones that I I got was a John ja Morant, like a perfect, a gem mint John ja Morant, right, for his collection. And so anyway, I get it sent to me, and then the guy messages me, and he says, this isn't Chris Verna from The Ringer, is it? And I'm like, buying a mint John ja Morant? Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> unless there's another, unless, I said, come on, man. And yeah, so anyways, uh, KaiQ <laughs> is, the, is the handle. So he messaged me and he says, I put an extra card in there that I think you'll enjoy. I'm a huge fan of the pod, uh, you and Kevin O content. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> so, anyways, That's it funny. comes in the mail yesterday. I open it up and there's my Jim Mint John ja Morant. And I open Larissa package. This dude sent me like this green insert hologram looking Brook Lopez. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's a real listener.
0: Unbelievable. How Thank you is so that? much for doing that. <laughs>
1: The best. Thank you. That is I amazing. opened it up and I, I was so excited. I was like, "Oh hell no!" And he said, "I thought <laughs> I thought you'd like a card of one of the great defenders of all time." I was like, "Man, this is whack."
0: And I think Budenholzer forgot how great Brook Lopez is. He's been listening to you too much. <laughs> how does Brook Lopez play only twenty-seven minutes? He ain't Bill Ford either. And Lopez was really good in that game. I mean, even you have to admit Lopez no. was great. He was, he, look, Giannis wasn't doing anything by the time they got to halftime. I'll tell you what, uh, I'm surprised by two decisions Boudinholz are made in that game. Why is Lopez not getting more touches and more minutes? And secondly, why is Pat Connaughton playing 25 minutes wow. and not, you're not giving more minutes to Wesley Matthews? What, 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 is, what is going on here?
1: I don't want to go back to a former argument, but we, we argued about this and you built up Middleton a lot and I kind of tore him down. And I said, who's your third best guy? And that's when we got into the Brooke Lopez thing or Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe Who was out,
0: of course. They ain't got much. I have a hard time with Bledsoe because on one hand, I'm like, they sure could have used him against Butler (laughs) in that situation instead of switching George Hill onto him. But uh, I say that, and yet I'm like, they probably don't do that. They're probably just attacking Middleton, who was horrific on defense. Uh, On the other hand, I'm like, Bledsoe is is a poor shooter and that's another guy from Miami to help off of, happily help off of, and pack the pain even more. You want Bledsoe shooting the ball. George Hill's a better shooter than him. So it's like a difficult balance here for Milwaukee in terms of the expectations of what you're getting back with Bledsoe.
1: There's good and there's bad. Let's hit these others real quick. We have a Game 7 tonight, Kev. And this series has been... I mean, I don't know how to... I, I don't really know the words for this. Like... Whatever my expectations were for the series, and we, I'm not ashamed of this, buried the Nuggets, right? Especially when they're down 3-1. after we buried the Jazz after Kim. Right, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We buried the Jazz, and then we buried the Nuggets. Yeah. And and they have put on this amazing series, and here's where I think we deserve a pass on burying them. What (laughs) we did not uh, foresee was a circumstance where Jamal Murray becomes one of the greatest offensive players in the history of the NBA. (laughs) This guy, over the course of the last three games, Jamal Murray has averaged 47 points a game, shooting 64% from the field, all while getting eight rebounds, seven assists a game, and five total turnovers. Um, I was looking through this. So just for point of reference, because I do think sometimes this gets lost. So Jamal Murray, Kev, is a good player who, been, who the criticism has been up and down, right? He'll give you 30, and then he might mm-hmm. give you 14. And he even had two duds in this particular series. Yep. Games um, two and three. Yeah, but he has gone absolutely off the meter great. And this year, Jamal Murray, who does have a lot of, you know, I mean, look, the guy's a very good player in the NBA. But Jamal Murray averaged 18 points per game, all right, in the NBA season. So if we are just saying, uh, when I went and looked this up, the equivalent of it would be like Dennis Schroeder, Kelly Oubre, Evan Fournier, Lou Williams, Derek Rose, Devontae Graham. Like th- these are the guys that are the 18 point per game guys throughout this season. So if one of those guys started averaging 47 points a game, I mean, he's a good player, good offensive player, but he shot under 35% from three this year, and it's like an 18-point-per-game guy who all of a sudden turned into a (laughs) 50-point-per-game guy. And so I think we should get a little bit of a pass on this because um, not being able to foresee an 18-point-per-game scorer, I mean, this is... I, I, it's like nothing i have ever seen in my life honestly like i'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment this is unfathomable what's happening
0: i i've been texting a lot of people the last couple of days about the series because i'm doing a video the next yeah. video on the, the restart out on wednesday is about you know mitchell versus murray and just analyzing their games how they've developed and all that and it, it's really interesting how much different feedback there is in terms of why is this happening how how is this happening and just to quickly go through a couple of them: one, the gym, no fans, you know, no distractions there. Open gym. Maybe some of these guys are better rested after the time off during the hiatus and the time off last week when the players were protesting. Maybe not um,
1: staying up as late, messing n- with n- your Instagram stories, l-
0: l- l- lack of travel. <laughs> <laughs> as well. Lack <laughs> of travel. There's so many factors that, be, that could be going into the hot shooting that we're seeing from Mitchell and Murray, never mind from many other players across the uh, entire league too. Um, secondly, and this I think is probably the main one, the defensive coverages that we're seeing from both Denver and Utah. Gobert and Jokic are, both play a drop style of pick and roll where they drop down to or near the paint. And that's just giving Murray and Mitchell wide-open pull-up jumpers. So you combine both of these factors with better rests, you know, open gym, and the fact Utah and Denver are inviting them to shoot, sometimes this is what you get. But with that said, I'll be looking for in Game 7 tonight, do Utah and Denver make any adjustments there, or do they continue doing what they've been doing the entire series? Because one of the things brought up to me uh, by one assistant coach was, he would like to see, Gobert taken off of Jokic and put him on somebody like Jeremy Grant. And in that situation, you know maybe you have Grant just screening for Murray instead. But the fact is, is that that does take you out of your two man game with Murray and Jokic. It takes you out of what you normally want to do if you're Denver. And same thing on the other side. Maybe put Jokic on Royce O'Neal. And have somebody else on Gobert. Either maybe Utah takes the bait and has Gobert post up instead. Or maybe you know you're having somebody else in a screening action and spacing isn't the same and Gobert's just kind of sitting in the dunker spot instead of rolling down the lane. And you know, this opens up potential new issues if you do that. But his point was is that by playing the same type of coverage nearly every possession, you're giving these guys the same look. There's no needing to adjust on the fly for them. He would like to see some variation. And their defensive coverages. And and that made total sense to me. It's so plain Jane from both these teams. Uh, will either of them switch it up in game seven to make a difference in impacting Mitchell and Murray, who are basically getting wherever they want on the court because they know what's coming.
1: Yeah, and I think you got to uh you also have to say a little prayer that Jamal Murray stops shooting absolute fireballs because of course there's only That's so much you can too. do when yeah. a guy is I mean, he is just yep. Pistol hot, it's you yep. watch the thing and it's a it's impossible. That's part of it, yeah. Just, just pray. <laughs> what do you do? I like, just pray yeah. that he ain't making everything he shoots because that was just crazy the other night. The other thing is, if you're Quinn Snyder, <laughs> do you just roll out your five guys for 48 friggin' minutes and say no breaks? I swear he played like seven guys the other night. He tried to play George Niang. George Niang was like minus 20 in like 20 minutes, it was outrageous. He couldn't even play seven guys without one of them killing him. Killing him in the amount of time he's out on the floor. So he may just have to say, like, Joe, Rudy, Mike, Donovan, Royce, you're going 48 tonight because I got nothing on this bench that can help me. I tried to play Tony Bradley a little. I tried to play George Nyang, and, and I got slaughtered the second I put him in the game. Y'all, are all going 48 minutes tonight. <laughs> Good luck. Leave it's, it out uh... there. Yeah,
0: I mean, it, like we did talk about, this is something that, you know, we're right about. They have a short bench.
1: Yes. They don't have
0: a lot of options, and Snyder knows it, thus the short in rotation. Yeah. Um, but, man, like, obviously this series comes down to, Jokic said it after the game, what's the difference, you know, for you guys winning these last two? He's like, Jamal. <laughs> that is the difference. <laughs> yeah. It's Jamal Murray and
1: his performance last one and cuz we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this series and we'll get uh, way more in depth on Friday on it. Yep. Boston and Toronto did play their game one. Um this was not a great basketball game. This was a Celtics domination for the majority of that game. This never this never got in peril, this never got tight. Marcus Smart was absolutely unbelievable. You know, this was not some kind of Superstar Tatum, and they didn't need him to be superstar Tatum because they just kind of had everything going their way. A great game plan, and Toronto couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You know, some of the, and their key players, i.e., Van Vleet and others, were just a a mess from the field. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. They just really, really, really struggled. Do you think that was just a, I mean, this has been a historical thing with Toronto in these game ones. Obviously, adjustments will be made. Um, Do you think that was just a game one thing and that this is going to even out rather quickly? Or do you think that Toronto is up against maybe more than they bargained for with this Celtics team just matchup-wise? How much do you take away from that game one? Because I thought Toronto played like shit, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a little of both. Uh, I think Boston had a really strong game plan uh, in that game. Uh, And part of it is just that guys like Siakam and Van Vliet need to be better. You know, Siakam ever since January is shooting only 32% from three, way down from his hot streak early in the year. And Boston is kind of just exploiting that. They are happy to let him shoot threes, uh, happy to let him especially take pull-up three-pointers. So part of it is just game planning on Boston's part And can these Toronto guys, you know, whether it's Van Vliet or Siakam, respond and actually start hitting some of the shots that they may normally uh, hit in the case of Van Vliet or have hit for hot stretches in the past, uh, like Siakam. But, you know, Brad Stevens did have a great game plan entering that game, and Nick Nurse is one of the best at making game-to-game adjustments. So I don't think it's worth, like, overanalyzing one game. Because uh, this is a series, is going to be a series of, of adjustments from game to game, from quarter to quarter. So does Nick Nurse do anything in this game to change things up? Maybe it's not like they didn't get quality shots in that game one, but we'll see tonight. I, I look forward to seeing what both of these guys come out with. It wouldn't shock me if Stevens has a, has a, a preemptive change either. It
1: still feels like six or seven games, right? This is going to be long series. They're pretty evenly matched. Yeah. 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 I'd be very shocked if somebody disposes of the other quickly. And the last thing before we get out of here, because I have to stand up for a small market. Devontae Graham getting two votes in most improved. Not like I care deeply about most improved, but that was so messed up when I saw that yesterday. Brandon Ingram won. I got no problem. Brandon Ingram, you know, took a took a step forward, right? But Devontae Graham went from four points a game to 18 and from 2.6 assists to seven and a half, uh, raised his three-point percentage almost 10% this year and became like a real player in the league who was having some big, big games and breaking some three-point records. And I just wish the guy would have gotten more credit for what he did this year because we're truly talking about who improved, like, Brandon Ingram, you and I, this is the number two pick in the draft. You and I were both high on him, and this was his destiny. Devontae Graham is the kind of guy that, like, just isn't in the league in a couple of years, you know, and, and, uh, unless you turn into what he turned into. And so he, had, but two votes, two for most improved player. I, I saw him yesterday post that with the eye roll emojis, two votes, and I felt bad for the guy. I wish the NBA would define who's eligible for
0: this award because I voted Luca and Trey as my top two. I thought they made uh, Luca made the the leap from a very very good player to an elite player who was worthy of MVP consideration, which to me is the toughest improvement to, for any player to make. Um, but I also see the logic for Ingram or Bam. I see the logic for Devonte Graham or Duncan Robinson, who only got one vote. Robinson went from a guy barely playing to somebody who is, you know, playing heavy minutes for a very good Miami team and performing at an elite level as a shooter, already one of the best shooters in the game. So, you know, how do you define this award? Uh, So much of it comes down to uh, the voters' own individual perspective here. And a lot of people say they'll never vote for second-year players because second-year players should get better. Some people say, like you mentioned, I'm not going to vote for a top-five pick because this is who they are supposed to be. I, I mean, there's so many different definitions here of what the award is, and historically, so many different types of guys have won the award. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, and part of me wonders if maybe like the NBA should make certain guys eligible or or, or something. I don't know. I mean, I because I, it's very confusing with the way pe- different people vote for it.
1: Well, and obviously, just from. You know, you having a tremendous impact me on me and, and listening to the, uh, you know, um, when I listen to you talk on the show, I mean, I probably would have voted for Brooke Lopez. I mean, to, tur- to turn into Bill Russell <laughs> after a decade in the NBA, I mean, who could be more improved Bill than Russell that?
0: with a three-pointer. Yeah, Bill,
1: Bill Russell, Russell with, with a, a three-pointer. Three. By yeah. the way, can I, can I just mention, when you mentioned Duncan Robinson, I was reading a story about him this week. I just remember him from, you know, playing at Michigan. But, like, he was not, a, like, a big-time high school player at all. And then he didn't get recruited by anybody and was at a Division three school. How about this? Wow. Division three. His story is crazy in this day and age. Um, he went to a Williams College uh, is where he went. And then he went from this Williams College, a Division three school, to Michigan. And was there and then, obviously, you know, uh, helped them uh, to their great success. But, I mean, you just don't hear of anything like that anymore. I didn't realize that he was, you know, not recruited at all and went to a Division three school and then ends up with John Beeline at Michigan. And then, now look, he's playing, like, real playoff minutes for a team that might be in the East Finals. For goodness sake. It's a a cool story. Hell of
0: a player, man. He's good. Uh, One one last thought before we go. Just to to, something to watch for tonight. The amount of corner threes that Toronto attempts. Oh. They only had six in game one in their team that ranked in the top ten of corner threes attempted per game. Mm. And that's because of what Boston does. Uh they did this earlier in the season against multiple teams they did in game one against toronto and that's helping off the above the break shooter and not the corner shooter which is traditional when you're bringing the help side defender over uh to stop dribble penetration will toronto have an adjustment there or boston get exploited in other
1: ways just something to look for tonight can't wait all right that is going to do it for another episode of the mismatch thank to isaac lee as always kevin i will talk to you on friday i can't wait